Hey, good morning. Uh, I just want to add to what Mike said about the uh, men's advance and thank, uh, I think Steve Golden kind of organized all that and the, uh, it was just such a blessing. We have all these young guys who, who uh, uh, taught and uh, led groups and uh, it was, a, it was a, just a great time. There's nothing like hearing men uh, sing songs like, you know, I'm a... You know, I'm a conqueror, and, and, you know, just being in fellowship was great. And as you might guess, uh, when guys get together, guys do guy things and talk about guy things, all right? And uh, so, you know, we had a, you know, we talked about, you know, being a man in marriage and in work and in the church, and we did stuff like, you know, uh, ladies, you don't have all the crafts, we actually did stuff like leather work, you know, and, and archery, and how to sharpen a knife. And you'll be happy to know that we learned some wisdom, why it's a good idea not to pee on an electric fence. <laughs> and when I thought about that, I, that, that sounded like pretty good advice. <laughs> so, it is. So, uh, to get into our message today... Uh, in uh, 64 A.D., uh, some suspected that the crazed Roman emperor Nero started the Great Fire of Rome, which destroyed most of the city. And when he saw that he was suspect, he pointed an accusing fig- finger at the Christians. And at that time, followers of Christ was a pretty good scapegoat because the Romans in general looked down upon them uh, and uh, his, an historian by the name of Philip Schaff said this, quote, their Jewish origin, their indifference to politics and public affairs, and their abhorrence of heathen customs were construed as a hatred of the human race. And this made an attempt on their part to destroy the city sufficiently plausible to justify a verdict of guilty. There began a carnival of blood such as even heathen Rome never saw before or since. A vast multitude of Christians was put to death in the most shocking manner. Some were crucified, some were wrapped in animal skin and fed to the dogs, and others were covered with pitch, nailed on posts, and then used to light the night as torches. And it was in the context of this persecution that Peter and Paul were martyred for their faith. So let's pray. Father God, uh, we just pray that you would give us insight today in what you have to tell us about the whole issue of persecution. Father, you are great, and we know that you have an answer for everything, even in times of trial, as has many saints persevered and come to even their death because of their faith. We just pray that we would have that courage in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we in America kind of live in a bubble, pretty clearly. Uh, We see and feel very little persecution of the kind that early Christians suffered through. Uh, So we don't give much thought to the lives, the horrors uh, that have been, of those who have been tortured and martyred. The beatitude that we're going to take up today starts with Matthew 5.10, where it says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake 
of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And then Jesus goes on uh, and says, blessed are people who, uh, when they insult you, they persecute you, and they falsely say all kinds of evil against you. And finally, it ends with this astounding rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Now, to any worldly wise person, these statements seem a bit counterintuitive. I mean, blessing and rejoicing mixed with reviling and insults and persecution, kind of like oil and water. Uh, but because of the increasingly hostile society in which we find ourselves today and the importance of a right response, we'll probably take up this last beatitude in more than one session. Now, we've all got this awareness that Christians have been persecuted throughout history. Most of the, all of the apostles were persecuted, and most of them were martyred for their faith. In fact, it is that martyrdom that gives us assurance that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, they went to their death proclaiming that they saw Jesus perform miracles and even rise from the dead. Why would anybody give up their lives if they knew that what they were saying was a lie? Why would they stick to their story in the face of death unless they actually saw him rise from the dead? Uh, as Christianity spread, believers in Christ were hunted down like beasts and put to death in the most cruel fashions. Uh, but that continued throughout history, and uh, uh, Anglican evangelist George Whitfield preached to many thousands as part of the Great Awakening in the colonies in the mid-1700s. But even then, some in attendance were not impressed. And so after one message, Whitfield exclaimed, I am honored today with having a few stones, dirt, rotten eggs, and pieces of dead cats thrown at me. Now, got to be honest, if that had happened to me, if you guys did that to me, I'd be a little bit discouraged. But Whitfield considered it an honor. However, you know, think about it. In, in my day-to-day -day activities, I don't feel much persecution, and I suspect that most of you, if not all of you, don't either. So, let me ask, are the words of Jesus about persecution relevant today? Or has modern society become so tolerant that talk of persecution is outdated? Well, let's take a look uh, at some of these issues globally and, and hone it down to where we are. Um, on your, out, on your, uh, your handout, there are some links to websites where they chronicle the persecutions, persecution of Christians all over the world. And if you take a look at that, you might be overwhelmed, but I encourage you not to become desensitized or calloused to the persecution that, we, that exists around the world. When you think of murderous persecutors, somebody that's likely to come to mind is Hitler, right? And to be sure, Hitler was responsible for the extermination of what we think about 11 million Jews and gypsies in his quest to uh, achieve a master race. But his, Hitler is far from the worst. That distinction goes to Mao Zedong, the communist dictator of China, who is credited with the death of up to 60 million of his own people. Now, Mao is still worshipped by the Chinese Communist Party, and his likeness appears on their currency, even 
today, leading many to question our hypocritical relationship with the current murderous dictator. On the intermediate level of major atrocities is Joseph Stalin, who was a communist dictator in the Soviet Union around the same time in the earlier part of the 20th century. Uh, and Stalin once said, the death of a person, one man, is a tragedy. The death of a million is a statistic. Do you see the difference? And he would know because he was responsible for the murder of an estimated 20 million of his fellow Russians. And some are saying today, we're seeing shades of Stalin in Vladimir Putin. So if you look, you will find many examples of persecution of believers today by Eastern Bloc atheists, by Muslims, Hindus, and others. In fact, almost three billion people live in countries under significant restrictions on their religious freedom. Sixty percent of all Christians live in those countries, many where there is severe state interference and harassment. Uh, at Lion and Lamb, as, as you just heard from Mike, we try to pray for particular Christians under persecution each week, as reported to us by uh, one of the groups, Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, yet to understand the magnitude of the problem requires looking at the issue on a larger scale. And it's up to us to take that mind-numbing information and use it as motivation. So for those who keep track of persecution, we're told that just within the last year throughout the world, uh, about 4,000 Christians have been abducted, 5,000 church buildings have been attacked, 6,000 Christians have been uh, detained, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned, and another 6,000 have been put to death for their faith. And finally, there are over 360 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. Open Doors is another one of the uh, organizations on, on your uh, handout, and they have published their 2022 World Watch list, which ranks the level of persecution in various countries. And up to recently, North Korea has been at the top of the list of extreme persecution. Until this past year, you see, uh, a year ago in August, the United States conducted a hasty, poorly planned, and hectic evacuation of Afghanistan, and filling the vacuum immediately as they were loading the planes was the Muslim Taliban. Now, you may recall footage of Afghans grabbing on to the outside of airplanes, that, to, the, to the fuselage of, air, of the military aircraft. It was a taxi down the runway, lifted into the air, and then fell to their death. Why? They knew what was coming. Because the Taliban had a history before the U.S. intervention of extreme persecution, and therefore now Afghanistan is at the top of the open doors list of uh, countries which persecute the most. Now, North Korea was at the top because uh, their penalty for being a Christian was simply internment in a forced labor camp. If you convert from Islam to Christianity in Afghanistan, the, the penalty is immediate death. 
the, Pal the Taliban now controls all aspects of life and has used the information left behind by evacuated Christian organizations to identify, hunt down, and exterminate Afghan Christians. So at the least that we can say from a global standpoint that the words of Jesus are very relevant and indeed very precious uh, for the millions of our brothers and sisters who are under the pressure of constant surveillance and persecution. But why, does, why is this happening? What are the causes of this persecution? Well, I've, I've got about three that I can mention. There are probably more, but one is, of course, that authoritarian governments view Christianity as a threat to their power. Places like North Korea and Eritrea, authoritarian governments seek to control all religious thought and expression as part of a comprehensive plan to tightly oversee all aspects of life, political and otherwise. Uh, these these uh, governments regard Christianity as enemies of the state simply because Christian beliefs may challenge loyalty to their regime. Another reason is because the, of, of exercise of faith that is outside the majority cultural faith or the dominant religion. In some places, there's great hostility toward these minority religious groups uh, viewed as foreign or non-native. For example, in Niger, 98 percent of the, of the populace is Muslim, and hostility comes more from the society than from the government. In India, Hindu nationalists claim that to be Indian is to be Hindu. So non-Hindus, religious minorities like Christians and Muslims, are targeted for abuse. You wouldn't think that about friendly India, but that's one of the most persecuted places of persecution that we have in the world. Other countries have laws that are instilled to tightly control or even discourage Christians from openly practicing their faith, uh, all in the name of service to the dominant religion. Places like Saudi Arabia, again, an ally of the United States, Islam is the dominant religion, and to try to worship Jesus is just not the thing to do. In places like Pakistan, the laws are guided by Islamic law, which means that if a Christian is accused of blasphemy, the death penalty is in play. Uh, Christians in Iran are only allowed to worship in churches that do not speak the language of everyday Iranians. And there's a third group, uh, a third category anyway, where you've got rebel extremist groups that want to destroy uh, Christianity in their areas. Uh, these radicalized extremist groups wage war against anyone who does not adhere to their specific interpretation of religion. So in places like the Middle East and Nigeria, Islamic extremist groups terrorize communities and churches, killing those they consider infidels, raping and kidnapping women and burning down homes and churches. Their victims can be fellow Muslims like uh, Boko Haram sometimes attacks other Muslims in Nigeria, but they always look out and try to attack Christians out of their hatred. Coming a little closer to home, just uh, this last year, a Christian teacher in Ireland was banished from school simply because he would not use the preferred pronouns for students. And when he came back to school in the fall, he was put in jail. Uh, recently, a Church of England chaplain was labeled a terrorist 
and fired by the university for saying that while you should discriminate against no one, none of the students have to or should be required to accept the LGBT uh, view on marriage and sexuality. So he was fired as a Church of England minister for telling students they are allowed to believe Church of England teaching at a Church of England university. So across the pond, you know, gender issues are all the current rage. As a general barometer, a couple of weeks ago I, I took a class uh, on an update on religious liberty cases, and a Christian law professor who's followed the United States Supreme Court for over 45 years said that he's never seen so many appeals to the United States Supreme Court in general, and over half of those appeals have some relation to the LBGT XYZ issue. Uh, now, there is some good news. Uh, on, on uh, really close to home here. Uh, recently, a Fort Riley teacher was disciplined uh, last year for refusing to acknowledge that a student could choose to become the opposite sex on her, on her religious convictions and to use those pronouns, and that, in fact, she was told she must hide or lie to parents about the, the trans, supposed transition when they had parent-teacher conferences. Uh, and so uh, a couple of young attorneys, Ryan Krieghauser and Josh Nye, who have ties to Lion Lamb Church, actually won a settlement in that case. Uh, they, the school district agreed to pay the teacher $90,000. They also agreed to change their policy. Uh, and, uh, of course, you've heard about cases involving uh, states' efforts to force cake bakers and florists to contribute to same-sex weddings in violation of their right to free speech and religious convictions. Website designers have recently been targeted and we'll probably have a, an, another United States Supreme Court case on that soon. Some of you heard about the Coach Kennedy case, a football coach at, in a public high school. Uh, after every game, win or lose, he would go to the 50-yard line, kneel down and pray. Apparently some of the students from both teams might join him voluntarily. He was told to stop it. He said, no, that's, that's my private uh, expression and my religious conviction. And that case went all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and by a six to three decision, the United States Supreme Court says, no, that is free private expression. Now, this whole area, uh, the getting back to uh, the rejection of God's design, science, and logic, reaches into every aspect of our lives. Even sports now come into this debate as the federal law designed to put women on equal footing with men in sports opportunities has now been reinterpreted by the current administration to allow biological males to compete against women based upon their choice, the choice of the men, essentially bringing about the opposite result. Um, uh, the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom has found, has found that over 4,000 school districts in the country have adopted policies to affirm gender decisions made by these young students. So we kind of look at this and we rightly see these developments as attacks on biblical values, which will result in a loss of rights and of individuals and groups, as well as a further corruption of our culture. In turn, the cultural change will 
and has influenced your and my children and grandchildren. So beware. This is coming to a school, a university, a company, and maybe a church near you. It's on its way. However, we can also see that persecution, having a look at all this, in the United States in no way approaches the violent physical persecution on a large scale of most of the world. All we experience really at this point is societal disdain and discrimination. Why is that? I suspect it has to do with the Christian foundations of our relatively young country. Uh, our constitution guarantees freedom of worship and speech, and therefore we have survived a bit longer. Now, despite all that, much of the news media spews out stories sympathetic to those who reject biblical norms. And even though most of the people do not hold those views, the effect of the constant media barrage is to intimidate many to simply accept as inevitable the perceived cultural changes. Academic institutions and large corporations worried about loss of revenue quickly fall in line. We've seen that over and over again. So where truth, and especially Bible doctrine, is seen as fluid or evolving, as you've been learning in the Sunday school class, if you've been attending, this is a natural consequence. Certainly God has given us in the United States more time than other countries where they've had centuries of non-biblical tradition that has clouded the minds of their leaders. We don't know how much longer we will have a public voice. Recent studies point to the diminishing influence of Christianity as a major faith group in the United States, noting that many young people are abandoning the church. Uh, from that, they predict, the predictions are now that Christianity may become a minority religion in the United States within the next decade or two. Now, one might argue that in reality, true Christianity is already a minority faith, given the current state of the United States church. The surveys of the church that were in, went into those studies really are just measuring the influence of cultural Christianity and values, not true believers. So this may be what Jesus is referring to in Rome, or Matthew 7 when he said that not many but few will find and take the narrow road that leads to life. Truth is, followers of Christ have never been universally free from persecution. And as we will see later, as strange as it may sound, we should hope that we never are. In many parts of the world, Christians today are imprisoned, exiled, tortured, put to death for the word of God. And before the return of Christ, many more will fall victim to the hatred of the world's powers. Now there's a second reason for saying that Jesus' words about persecution are relevant today. And uh, Paul recognized this in 2 Timothy 3, where he said, Indeed, all who desire a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, how could he make that blank statement that the godly will be persecuted? Well, his conclusion is based upon his deep conviction about the nature of Christianity and the sinfulness of man. Uh, he's convinced that there's such a tension between the message and the way of Christians on the one hand and the mindset and way of life of the world on the other that conflict is 
inevitable. Finally, Paul knew the words of Jesus that we have, in, that, that we have uh, labeled in, in John 15, where it says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So these words of Jesus about persecution clearly are relevant for today, not only because of millions of Christians in the world are being persecuted for their faith, but because Jesus promises all of us who seriously put God first in our work, home, school, and leisure, we're going to bump into some form of opposition sooner or later. Now, none of us knows when our freedoms may end and we may be called by God to uh, take a stand that will cause many to reject us or go to some other dangerous place. I would say that right now, we in the U.S. are not suffering real persecution yet. However, it seems that, to me, the opposing worldviews that have been fostered, that have fostered disdain for Christ for over the last century, more particularly the intolerance for Christ in our institution of government, public schools, colleges, and military, have dramatically increased in the last couple of decades. So, uh, so let's now take a look at the text. That would be good. Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First, who are they? Well, the, the Greek sentence structure indicates here that the object of the persecution are those mentioned in verses 3 through 9, those who are living out the Beatitudes that we've discussed previously. So if that's who we are, we will fellowship with his sufferings, reproach, and rejection, and persecution will come. The Greek word for persecute means to harass, pursue, treat as an evil, uh, and in, interestingly, sometimes is used as a synonym for the legal term to prosecute. Now, not all persecuted people are blessed, only those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. What kind of persecution does not bring blessing? Uh, Peter makes this distinction between suffering and righteousness and evil in 1 Peter 4. It says there, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. However, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or simply as a meddler. So Christians may suffer persecution without blessing when they're suffering for their own sake, their own pride, their own bad behavior, even in sticking their nose in somebody's business where they don't belong. Blessed persecution comes upon believers because of what they are in character and in life. Again, in John 15, it says, I chose you out of the world because of this the world hates you. It's a testimony of Christ within his followers that provokes the resentment of at least some in the world. We'll get back to that in a little bit. Now, why is righteousness persecuted? If 
Righteousness means being humble and merciful and pure and peaceable like all the Beatitudes. Why would anybody persecute that? Isn't that a good thing that all would want to encourage and recognize? Well, if you think about it, some unbelievers do appreciate that, but not all. Uh, I think it was second century Christian apologist Tertullian who said that the first reaction to truth is hatred. In uh, Luke 16, we've got Jesus explaining uh, how this works. There he says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And pay attention here, verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this, and they scoffed at him. So there you've got the persecution, part of the explanation. The Pharisees were lovers of money. And remember, it's not money, but the love of money that's the root of all evil. And Jesus attacks that love. Then comes the rest of the explanation for their mockery in verse 15. But he, Jesus, said to them, You Pharisees are those who justify yourselves before men. So here you've got the root of the persecution with two prongs. First, a love or desire for something evil. And secondly, the need to justify that love. That's the root cause. That is why righteousness is persecuted. So we can see why a life devoted to biblical righteousness will be persecuted or reviled or spoken against, at least by some, because of what God, by his grace, has made the saved. They are obnoxious to some unbelievers. I put this on your handout, at least some of them. Uh, I think it's helpful to, to go over this and, and try to remember this. Uh, the consequences of living out just the Beatitudes. Think about this. Poverty of spirit, humility, is contrary to the pride of the world. Repentant mourning over sin is not appreciated by those who would rather pretend they've done nothing wrong. A meek or gentle spirit which does not retaliate in kind rubs against the resentment and bitterness of the sin nature. Hungering and thirsting after deeper spiritual blessing is a rebuke to those who who have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. A merciful spirit makes the world appear as cruel and harsh. A pure heart contrasts sharply with hypocrisy and corruption. And a peacemaker is not well tolerated by a contentious and antagonistic culture. Getting down to specifics, you know, it's important that we realize we should not be self-righteous, but a resistant unbeliever would look at you if you practice biblical morality in certain ways. If you maintain chastity and faithfulness, your life will be an attack on sexual freedom and promiscuity. If you embrace temperance, your life will be a statement against the escapism of alcoholism and drug abuse. If you exercise self-control in diet, your life will indict gluttony. If you live a simple life with contentment, you will show the folly of covetousness, greed, and an obsession with wealth. If you walk humbly with your God, you will expose the evil of pride. If you are punctual and thorough in your work, you will lay open the laziness and theft of some of their employer's time. If you speak with compassion, 
you will throw callous and uncaring people into sharp contrast. And if you are spiritually minded, you will expose the worldly mindedness of those around you. This is the logical consequence in some of a righteous life. And you may be labeled as Miss Goody Two-Shoes or uh, Holier Than Thou or the very subtle, very religious. When you desire to be godly in all your affairs and relationships, when you follow the righteousness that Jesus has in his strength and for his glory, there's two possible responses to, by the people around you. And these are described in John 3, where it says, This is the judgment that the light, capital L, Jesus Christ, has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So the first possible response, hating the light, hiding from its glare, and this is the response that may lead to persecution of righteous believers. And it goes on in verse 21. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So the other possible response, being attracted to, receiving and following Jesus, coming to the light, confessing that only God can work good through me. Now there's a related issue here that we've all probably experienced, and that is the nice unbeliever, okay? Uh, what about people who are not converted, but they're not hateful? And in fact, they might be polite, salt of the earth, even friendly with us. Now, this is a problem we discussed at the, at the men's advance as well. Um, one possibility that you struggle with this, or I, and I struggle with this, is that, you know, we don't want to lose their friendship, and so we keep our light under a bushel. Okay. Perhaps we're embarrassed by the offense of the cross. Uh, we don't want to let our distinctive values and our convictions show because that might turn them away. You know, I think about political correctness and how it has affected what we say in the company of unbelievers. Uh, Doug asked this in the context of the workplace uh, yesterday. If it became a crime to identify as a Christian, to publicly profess faith in Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict me? I'm sobered by the words, frankly, of Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Did you ever think about that when you pass the guy on the corner with the sign? Then Luke 12, I say to you, whoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. So if we are letting our light shine, the people around us may either be moving closer to God or toward hatred and persecution of us. And we see this often in the Gospels uh, when the Pharisees were angered, but they were hindered by expediency, the circumstances around them from expressing their anger in outright persecution. So if you are showing your light, persevere, carry on. You know, you and I are not responsible for the outcome 
we are responsible for spreading God's word and his good news in humility. Neither persecution nor conversion will necessarily happen immediately. In a little while, we're going to take the Lord's table. And the Lord's table of necessity requires self-examination. And, and now might be a good time, if you haven't before, to examine yourself to see if you're playing some kind of Christian incognito game. And so, if so, a good thing to do would be to repent and resolve to get real about your expression of faith among others. At the same time, you should not assume that because there's no persecution and no conversions right now that the fault must lie with you. The gestation period for the new birth may be nearing a happy end in birth, or the storm clouds of persecution may be gathering to break against us. Now, uh, some are natural evangelists and others not so much. A few weeks ago, Mike mentioned that he doesn't consider himself uh, an evangelist, but that did not stop him from asking somebody to, to come to church. Each of us has a job in our own mission fields. Some are more adept at harvesting and reaping in order to usher others toward a decision to Christ, but all of us can be sowers and planters for the harvest by our lives, our interaction, and our words spoken to others around us. Now, this may be a simple, God bless you. It can be helping physically with a need and then explaining that God prompted you to assist. Uh, you might help somebody who is in a time of grief. Uh, and if you're prepared, you have the ability to clear away the intellectual foliage that obscures the cross of Christ and make a defense for your faith so that another may be intellectually able to open up to the work of the Holy Spirit. Many people are captured by their intellectualism. All these activities and interaction have risks. And, uh, you know, many have asked me over the years about liability in a ministry or a nonprofit organization. And my tongue-in-cheek response is, I've got just the answer for you. If you want to avoid all liability and all risk, you simply do this. Nothing. Do nothing and you'll have no liability or risk, except for maybe the people who contribute to your organization. All ventures in life, if we, if we do a risk and benefit analysis, what do we find? Of course, the benefit is, in this case, is that another soul might be led to Christ and saved for eternity. The risk at its extremes is that you or I will receive backlash, maybe some persecution. And what might that entail for us right now? Likely just scorn and ridicule. Maybe loss of a job at the, at the worst. But think about the people in other parts of the world where it's loss of family, torture, and death. In any case, what Jesus said is that we are blessed when our persecution is for righteousness' sake. Not only are the persecuted blessed now, but they rejoice because the best is yet to come. And that's what we'll take up next time.
As the worship team comes up, if we can bring up the passage here and you'd all stand. Together? Well, maybe. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be exceeded, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you.